The first lesson comes to us from Psalm 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. And the gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Now, large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Jesus ministered for just three and a half years. But as time went on in that short time span, the crowds grew, the multitudes grew, and he became very, very popular. And one of the reasons he became popular is that he took on the big dogs. He took on the big dogs. He took on the corporate religion in Israel. He took on the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so the crowds loved him, but not everyone followed him as part of the multitude, was faithful to him as a disciple. So he always had something to say, not just to the immediate situation, but to the entire crowd. 
From time to time they followed him and he turned and said to them, and we're told in verse 25, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. These words started to thin out the crowd. This is where you preach a sermon knowing that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to hate what they want to hear. And they're going to leave. And they're never going to come back. I'm not going to do that today. Jesus wants that. That is, he would, he would rather have somebody who is faithful to him follow him. Not just somebody who is fascinated with him. I heard about a professor professor who was asked about one of his students in, as they were evaluating seminary students and the professor said well he attends my lectures but I wouldn't call him a student you can attend lectures and you can listen to Jesus in the crowd but Jesus may not consider you one of his followers or one of his disciples in John 2:23, multitudes believed in his name but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, and he knew what was in everyone's hearts. So, so Jesus says something that would thin out the crowd. And what a statement it is. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, etc., what on earth does he mean by that? Well, in Middle, Middle Eastern language, Middle Eastern language is very vivid. And this is a very vivid challenge. Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not saying that you should go home right now or turn to your mom right now and say, I hate you. That is not what Jesus is saying. Notice I'm looking at the kids. He doesn't say, I should hate you, Dad, because Jesus does not say that. He tells us, for God so loved the world. But there is an idea here. You, you should love God so much, so much. The love for anyone else or anything else by comparison is as though it would be considered hatred. That the idea of this, comparatively speaking, God isn't relegated to, well, I have a wife, I have different obligations, my family needs me, I have property to take care of, I have a business to take care of, I have work to do, I have things to have. He thins out the crowd and he says, listen, your love and your commitment to God is such that anything else, anything else will take a far second seat. Folks, you haven't set out to hate your parents, but when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, some of you may have heard something like this. I can't believe you would disgrace the traditions that you were brought up with. You break my heart, son or daughter. It's as if you hate me. And you're not trying to hate them, but you love them. But, but the chips have fallen where they may. You've been moved to believe, to worship the way that you've been called to do. 
in your commitment to Christ, they can see he has taken a higher precedence than your love for them. Your love for what they've given you. Your love for how you were raised. And even a love for a spouse or a child. Jesus continues, Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be not my disciple. If you haven't heard of him, and I know, I know most of you have, uh, do, do you remember a guy named John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Pride? He, he wrote, or P Pilgrim's Progress? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. It's a classic Christian literature. It, it, it's written by a man who was imprisoned for his faith. He was put in the Bedford jail in England because he went against King Charles. He was told to quit preaching, and, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. So they put him in jail. Now he knew that if he was arrested, he'd, he'd be put in jail and that his family would suffer poverty. But he couldn't stop preaching the gospel. He had to show the love of God, even above his, above his family. And he said while he was in prison, he wrote, he wrote this, he, the thought of my wife and my poor children suffering is as to me the pulling of the flesh from my bones in this place. It tormented him and it, and it tortured him, but he knew, he knew that he must be committed to Christ and serve Christ. He was all in. Discipleship, well, we, we must remember it is a process it takes time. It involves both false starts and modest successes as we grow in our faith journeys to live into the fullness of, of humanity and dare to begin to live the holiness that resides in each of us. As disciples, we learn to face life's challenges and joys with a spirit of love and hope, faith, peace, that leads us to an even more profound and deeper spirituality and a prophetic life, a life of prophetic witness. For example, I lifted up a few weeks ago an event rather than, than accept the slow pace and often inept attempts of the federal and state governments to aid in the rebuilding of New Orleans and, and the Gulf Coast after Hurricane Katrina uh, in 2005. Many people of faith, many people of faith traveled to the area often repeatedly to go and help rebuild using whatever skills that they might have. Joan and a group from Flower Town Presbyterian along with many Presbyterian churches went to Purlington. Folks, this is the church coming alive in its discipleship as people of faith spread the good news through their active witness in helping those who have come to continue to be brutalized by poorly constructed levees, horrible neglect, and even now around the area in Jackson, poor water. Flint, Michigan, still poor water. After years, there's a cost to being all in. We, we can go our own ways, do our own things, and per, even perhaps think that we love God fully, but Jesus' words in the text this morning cut right to the chase. They cut like a scalpel. 
We say we know Jesus, but somehow we allow ourselves to be compromised. You see, the true peace of Christ is a peace of heart and soul that comes from knowing and walking with Christ. And we are called to carry a cross and follow Jesus. The cross is the supporting structure of our faith. It is at the very core of God's plan. And this brings to mind the words, at least to me, the old rugged cross. The old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction to me. To the old rugged cross, I'll ever be true, its shame and reproach gladly bear. Worldly wisdom, worldly wisdom attempts to empty the cross of its power, almost devaluing it. But the cross of Jesus Christ is at the heart of our faith, the very foundation of our faith, like I said in our children's time. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins and then rose again so that we might live. A man by, by the name of Henry Drummond, I don't know if you've heard of him, a Scottish evangelist summed these verses up this way. The entrance fee into the kingdom is nothing. It's free. But the annual subscription costs everything. Folks, we are saved by grace through faith. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We, we receive it. But it will cost you everything. That annual subscription, once you're in, as a free gift. We are all then called to give it our all. It's not a weekend hobby. It's not something that we practice on a Sunday morning. It's not something where we visit the church and see our friends. No, friends, we are all in all the time and every day for Paul, thereby de facto Luke. The cross represents Jesus dying for our sins and rising again so that we might live. And when we take up our cross, we are all in. We are all in because we remember what he did for us at this table, his table. For it's at this table where our hearts, minds, and souls are rejuvenated. It's where our hunger is met and our thirst is quenched. Friends, this is God's moment for us right now. This is God's moment for us. When Jesus calls on us to remember what he did for us, we must ask ourselves the question, do we believe with all our hearts, with all our minds, with our very essence, that Jesus Christ died and rose again for us? Come now, all that are baptized in the triune God. Come now to the table of grace. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Ken Goodrich, and I'm humbled that you took the time to listen to this podcast. I pray that the Holy Spirit moves you to ministry, and that if you don't have a church home, that you are able to find one. Please feel free to tune in on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 12.20 p.m. for our Bible studies, on Thursdays at 10 a.m. for our Learning Center courses, and of course on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. for our worship. 
Just go to fpclc.org to see all our various programs and events. Thanks again, and God bless you and keep you safe. May God embrace you and keep you in his countenance. Peace.